Good morning, everyone. I, I think that we may have a new theme for 2023. I will not be shaken. Amen. I will not be shaken. Uh, that was just like, whew, that was a beautiful, beautiful phrase we sang. And uh, just to hear it again, I will not be shaken. And it dovetails, maybe because, uh, maybe that's what our, our passage is about today, that I, I will not be shaken. Uh, I want you to take a look at the uh, title. It says, I have sent them out of John 17, 17 through 18. In fact, um, let me do this. Let me put this board up. And my lovely assistant, Vanna, will uh, help me with that. Uh, thank you. Uh, we have been in that series, uh, Christmas That Was, The Christmas That Is, and The Christmas That Will Be. But let me read something that is out of John, John chapter 17, and uh, I will then apply it to where we're at. John chapter 17, Jesus is in, up in, the, is in the upper room, and it is the high priestly prayer, and he says this in verse 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He's talking to the Father. It's, this is a prayer. And Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So where does that lead us? God's perfect design. We brought sin, ran away from God. We brought, whoops, we brought sin into the world. Brokenness, guilt, shame, dysfunction. God sent Jesus. The kingdom of God has come. Believe, repent, and we believe. And then the word that became flesh died, resurrected, made him king. We now follow him. We have the Holy Spirit. We're getting back into making these relationships vertically right with God. Horizontal relationships, right? The relationship that we have with ourselves, because a lot of us are screwed up even inside, say amen to that, because we are. And then our relationship with our purpose in life. God has come to restore all those things. But then Jesus says, even though we have all this great stuff and now we have God's design, we're being perfected, and God is going to send us back Unfortunately, or fortunately, he said, I'm sending you back into other people's brokenness. I'm sending you back. And you all said, okay, that's right. You know, because wouldn't it be wonderful that when we believed and repented and we got the Holy Spirit and we're following him, that he just teleports us to heaven and, and it's over, right? That's what we long for. Just, you know, open my head pour everything in, close it back up, and take me to heaven. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is, I want to have you be a present to the world, like Jesus was a present. We are to be salt and light in, in our broken world that we have. And so, that leads us to our message today. And it actually is going to come out of Judges. But before we get there, I'll just leave that right there. I may refer to it. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way and the life. I've come, 
And he said, sanctify them in the truth. And he says, make them holy in the truth. Make them holy in your word. And I'm sending them back into the world. And then, not only does he do that, but we go, in fact, let's go to the next, go, skip the next slide, uh, Hannah, and go to the following slide. Believing in the truth. That's step one, right? We have to believe in, in the truth. Now go to the next slide, Hannah. So we go from believing the truth to, to this part where we belong to the truth. We're the Holy Spirit, we're Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus is living inside of us and we're following him. So we're believing the truth, we're belonging to the truth, but then the step that we're talking about today is, go to the next slide, is starting to learn to behave in the truth. Does that make sense? We need to belong to the truth, but sometimes we struggle as Christians especially if we're immature and young. And I'm not calling anybody else out, but I'm just saying we'll use the, the royal we uh, to include all Christians, immature, young, and old. But sometimes we struggle believing the truth because we live in a culture that's saturated by relativism, right? Went from truth having absolute authority to now truth is whatever you want it to be. It's no longer black is black, white is white, you know, right is right, wrong is wrong, yes is yes, no is no, everything is relative depending on your perception, right? And if we're going to have the Holy Spirit in our life, if we're going to have his power, our belief has to be absolute. We need to really believe. But that leads us to that belonging to the truth. And sometimes we struggle belonging to the truth because we think of truth as a set of facts instead of the person of Jesus. Are you with me on that? We, we struggle. And we've said it in the past, I'll say it again. A man cannot properly understand himself unless he has the light of the gospel shining on him. Because without the gospel, without Jesus, you don't know what you really look like in the mirror, Right? And you need that. And so we need to believe in the truth and we begin to belong in the truth. And then it helps define that relationship that I said, this way, this way, and this way. But in order to experience the spirit of truth in our, our lives, we must learn, commit, uh, submit to living in that personal, experiential it is experiential. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ should be experiential. Are you with me on that? It's not all head. It's head and heart, right? To living that relationship, that love relationship with Jesus. And that's belonging to Jesus. So let's go to the next slide. Oh, nope, back it up one, sorry. So believing or uh, behaving in the truth, reading the truth, Saying the truth, declaring the truth, experiencing the truth is not the same as living out the truth. Let me make that clear. It is not the same as behaving in the truth. It's one thing to say, I love you, Chris. I'm not going to say it to my wife because that's easy. I love you, Chris. It's another thing to live in that love towards him, right? We can have lip service all the time saying, I love, I love, I love, but it has to show up in your behavior, right? Mm -hmm. 
And that's where the church may be the weakest. We believe in the truth. We believe in the Bible. We believe that we belong to the truth, that we have a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we don't behave in the truth. And then we wonder why the Holy Spirit seems absent from our life. If the church is going to impact our culture, which is, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Uh, but if we're going to acquiesce to the culture, if we're going to have one foot in the world and one foot in, in, in a relationship with Jesus, how can the Holy Spirit empower that? That's like rewarding a misbehaving child at Walmart, right? And you've seen those kids that are misbehaving at Walmart and the, the parent is rewarding the child's behavior. And what is that doing to the child? Messing him up, right? Because he's being rewarded for bad behavior. And so we have to wait, step back and say, no, we cannot be like a misbehaving child and expect the Holy Spirit to transform us. We need to be behaving according to what we believe. And the Holy Spirit's going to be able to empower that. If we're going to hear from the Spirit, we have to not only believe in the truth, we have to belong to the truth, but we really have to behave in the truth. And we're going to use an Old Testament example, and it's Gideon. So grab your, grab your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And I'm going to set up a little context because we, we don't have the time or the luxury to read everything about Gideon. Um, but if you get to Judges chapter 6, uh, we're going to start it at... Uh, no, probably 27, but let me give you the background. The Israelites are living in the promised land. Israelites are not believing, belonging, or behaving according to the covenant that God had made with them. They're not living in truth. They are acting like their culture. They are believing, belonging, and behaving according to the lie. And God has given them over to the Midianites. And they are taking Israel's harvest. It's like Israel grows all this stuff, raises all this stuff, and the Midianites are on the outskirts. And as soon as they see the right time, they come in like locusts and take everything of the Israelites and leave town. And the Israelites have been experiencing this for seven years. And they are crying out to the Lord, help, help, help. And guess what God does? He doesn't send Gideon yet. You might have thought that, but he doesn't. The first thing that we find in chapter 6, when the Midianites are do doing this, he first sends a prophet. And the prophet says, you guys need to repent, and you guys need to obey. Hear that. They're in, they're in harm's way. They are hurting. They're in pain. Their lives are messed up. And the first thing that God says is, I'm sending you a prophet to get you to return to the truth before they send Gideon. And sometimes you cry out to God for help, and the Holy Spirit isn't going to rescue you. He's just going to point you to the truth first, first and foremost. Because he doesn't want him to say he doesn't want to save you in your dysfunction, because then you're not going to change out of your dysfunction. Are you with me on that? It's like rewarding the, the misbehaving child. You tell the child, behave, and then you correct and reward the child. And so God is going to choose this very timid guy who says he's the least 
of the tribes, least of the clan, least in his family, and we're going to find him in a wine press threshing out grain because he's afraid of the Midianites. And an angel of the Lord is going to come to him and call him a mighty warrior. And I think the angel is looking into the future of what he can become. And we're going to pick it up at verse 17 of chapter 6. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Verse 19, So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes with an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. But that's not the most interesting thing. <clears throat> the next thing that happens is the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So before he just, I don't know what he thought he was, but now he knows <clears throat> that it's the true angel of the Lord. And he says, alas, O Lord God. And by the way, it, it, he is saying it, um, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Do you see how your Lord is spelled with capitals? The second Lord, not the first Lord. L, capital L, then a capital O and an R and a D, but they're all in caps too. That's, that's the name Yahweh. That's how they would write it. So he knows who has showed up. It's not the God of the Ammonites. It's not the gods of the Baals and all the other ones, but God has showed up and he says, I have seen the Lord face to face. Verse 23, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you, which would have been really freaky because he's gone. The angel of the Lord vanished and yet he hears the voice. And then it says, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizurites. Here's the very first fill in the blank. Truth produces conviction. Gideon asks, is this really true? That's the bottom line question. Is this really true? You call me out of the wine press. You tell me I'm going to go strike down the Midianites. I'm going to uh, ask for a sign. I, want, I don't want to know if this is true. He goes and prepares something for this visitor and poof, the visitor vanishes the offering is consumed, and we see that, wow, it is true. And truth produces conviction. In fact, I go to the next slide, uh, Hannah. First Thessalonians says it this way, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep, what? Deep conviction. 
you know how we lived among you for your sake. Now the word for conviction is an interesting word. In, in fact, we'll, we'll have it up on. It, it means, it's, it's spelled, or in, in Greek, it's pleroforia. Pleros meaning full and pharaoh meaning to carry. And In other words, your belief is so full, there's no room for doubt in you. Does that make sense? Your belief is so strong, you have conviction, and you cannot be shaken. There is no room for any doubt. There is no doubt because the word polaroforia means you are full. You are full of that conviction. Your belief is so full. You're filled up with confidence. And it's interesting that the United States Supreme Court has made a decision based on the difference between preference and conviction. I don't know if you knew that. You know, if you go, I, I have a conviction that I can't fight because my religion won't let me do it, and then you, you better have that conviction your whole life, right? It's not just a way to, to get out of service. Well, there was a lawyer out of this law association. I'm going to read it to you because he says it so concisely. He says, the difference between a conviction and a preference, according to the Supreme Court of the United States, a preference is a very strong belief and with great strength. You can give your entire life in a full-time way to the service of a preference. And you can also give material wealth in the name of your preference. You can also energetically proselytize others to your preference. You also can teach your belief to your children. And the Supreme Court may still rule that it is only, is only a preference. A preference is a strong belief, but a belief that you will change under the right circumstances. Circumstances such as peer pressure. Uh, circumstances such as family pressure. Lawsuits. Jail. Threat of death. Would you die for your belief? A conviction is a belief that you will not change. A preference is a belief you have that may change if given enough pressure. Are you, are you understanding this guy, this lawyer? And he says, why a man that believes that his God requires it of him, he will not change. Preferences aren't protected by the Constitution. That's interesting. You know, we all religious of, you know, freedom of religion. Wait, wait, wait. Your religion has to be based on conviction, not a preference. And it goes on. Convictions are uh, something that you not discover, but it is something that you purpose in your heart. Convictions on the inside will always show up on the outside in a person's lifestyle. To violate a conviction would be a sin to the person. That's a conviction. That is a strong prediction, uh, a conviction. And Gideon got the truth smacked in his face and it produced a conviction in him. And, and in fact, I have another slide, but it's really regarding to our purpose. Let's go to the next slide, Hannah, where it says, Colossians, it says, he's praying that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance. It's that same Greek word 
of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. When you have Jesus, when you have the truth, and it produces a conviction in you, you do not change. No matter where the world is going in 2023, your conviction is grounded in that belief, that relationship, and the behavior of Jesus Christ. That is what it is really about. Convictions, what we believe to be true, is not going to change, nor can change. And, and Gideon asked, is this really true? I want to know the truth. Now catch this, the sin of Israel, the sin of Israel was that they didn't get rid of Yahweh, but what they did is they added in the cultural to Yahweh. You, you see that. They didn't abandon Yahweh. They just added other gods next to Yahweh. And they added the lie, what I would call the lie. Um, and truth produces conviction through the Holy Spirit, and he testifies to our spirit about who Jesus is and the truth. I don't know if you've ever had that situation where you're like, is this true? And, and you just have this conviction in, in your spirit and the Holy Spirit convicts you too. And you go, no, this is true. No matter what the world is saying, I have that conviction because it comes from the word and it comes from the spirit. And you're going to stand on that. Here, here's the slide where I want to go uh, to the next slide, Hannah. The truth, of course, is the unpardonable sin. And that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what is the Spirit's job? It testifies to the truth. It, the Holy Spirit isn't in it, sorry. The, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. That is the truth. But let's look at our cultural truth. Go to the next slide. This is the lie. The unpardonable sin in our culture is intolerance, right? Oh, heaven forbid. Tolerance, where truth is a matter of opinion, produces preferences, but not conviction. And when you stand on the truth, it produces conviction in your life. And I guarantee you, you will be labeled intolerant because you're not buying into the lie. And that's a good thing. Is, there is no shame for a Christian to be called intolerant if you're basing it on the Word of God, not your preferences. But on the word of God, when you stand on the truth. Now this conviction, the, the pleroforia, is the fruit of truth. And convictions don't change. I don't care if it's today, tomorrow, or, or uh, yesteryear. It's, it's still going to be the same. It's unchanging. Convictions are unchanging. And that brings me to the, uh, a little science to you. It's called the law of non-contradiction. Have you ever heard of the law of non-contradiction? It means that a chair cannot be in this room and in the next room at the same time, right? It means, based on the circumstances, in, in other words, um, it has to be the same context. You, you, you cannot believe the truth and a lie at the same time. It's contradictory. And so I'll just read you this little statement. Um, in order to make a set of statements contradictory, we would have to say something like this, Judas hung himself or Judas did not hang himself. 
Now you can say Judas hung himself and you can say Judas's bowels broke open and spilled out. Those aren't contradictory. But to say that Judas hung himself and then to say at the same time Judas did not hang himself, those are two statements that cannot be true. One of them is false. So Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is not a way to heaven. One is true, one is false. They're contradictory. Murder is wrong. Abortion's okay. Contradictory, right? Um, homosexuality is wrong. Same-sex marriages is okay. Wait, that's contradictory. Being a transvestite is wrong. Uh, wearing clothes at a drag... What are they called? Drag queens? What's that? Drag shows. I don't, I don't even know the terminology anymore. It's driving me crazy. Because that's what the lie does. It changes the meanings of words to suck you in to their preference. And you have to make sure that you stand strong in your convictions. And we have to start defining words today. Isn't that a shame? We have to define what a woman is. And we have to define what a man is. And as we see our world, Europe, by the way, just today or yesterday, or, you know, Sweden finally came out and said, we don't care what the rest of Europe says. There is only one, there, there's, you're either a male or female. We're not going that route. And all of Europe's upset at Sweden right now. But, wow. yeah. So let's go back to the text. Let's go back to the text. Let's go back to, to verse, pick it up at verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, or Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you have cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town, he didn't do it by day, but he did it by night. Here's the, the next fill in the blank. Not only does, does truth uh, produce convictions, it also empowers you to action. Isn't that beautiful? He had enough belief that it caused him to be obedient to the Lord and did something that he knew he was going to get in trouble for. It empowered him to action. Gideon believed that the word came from God, full assurance, full conviction. Therefore, he obeyed. He acted. He did it, even if he was afraid, and he did it at night. And there are sometimes you do things at work where you go in and you have to say things to certain people and you do it with a little interpretation or intrepidation, but you still do it because you know it's the right thing to do, right? Sometimes you have to do that to your children. You have come to Jesus meetings, even if it seems a little... Confrontation is not fun, is it? Okay, some of you probably think confrontation is fun. It's not. I don't think it is. God doesn't give you a way out. If you have convictions, there's going to be confrontations. Does that make sense? So let's go to the next slide, Hannah. The way you live your life then, 
is directly related to what you believe about Jesus Christ, the Word. How you live your life is directly empowered and related to what you think and believe and behave and belong to Jesus Christ. I've shared this before, uh, but we'll share it again. It's the Greek way of learning, and that is information is presented and it's memorized. Information is regurgitated back, and that's called testing. And if a student can repeat the information, the student has been what? Taught. Well, let's look at the Hebraic way a little more clear. Information is presented and it is modeled. It's about modeling. Number two, practicing it in relationship with others. And number three, if the student lives out the information, then he has been taught. You learn from doing. And Gideon learned the truth, and he brought conviction, and he lived it out. I'll give you an example. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, but, you know, we do hero makers, and we've taught the, the children uh, the books of the Bible, at least the New Testament. But I'll tell you what, if you go to a Christian who's been in church for 50 years, and I've seen many of these Christians, and you say, can you find the book of Joel? They cannot find the book of Joel. You say, uh, can you turn to 1 Corinthians? And they say, well, where's that? And you're like, wait, you must not use your Bible. Because if you're using your Bible, you have a general idea where Joel is. Now, I'm not saying that I can go, boom, where Joel is. He's a minor prophet. I know where the minor prophets are. Why? Did I memorize it? No, I didn't memorize it. I used it. It's just like a, a carpenter that uses a, a, a T-square or, or a rule or, or a, a, a tape measure or a hammer or nails. He, he doesn't go to school and read about it. He goes out and does it. That's what our life is to look like. We are to behave in the truth, not just believe the truth, not just belong to the truth, but Jesus Christ has sent us back into the broken world to be salt and light, and the way we do that is by behaving in the truth. It's easy to say that we know or, or learned or believe God's word. It's a different thing to live it out. Do you believe that Lying or deceit or half-truths or manipulation in a situation is wrong? Do you? I, I'm not going to be rhetorical. I'm asking, do you believe that that is wrong? Say yes. Do you believe it's wrong to live your life as a hypocrite? Yes. Do you believe in sexual purity? Do you believe in heaven and hell? Do you believe in personal responsibility and personal, personal accountability? Do you believe that you need to love your neighbor? Yes. According to the Hebraic way of learning, you don't know or believe it unless that shows up in your life. Do you, do you, I mean, that came with a punch. You can say those things easily. I believe, I believe, I believe. Well, is it in your life? Well, if it's in your life, then you actually believe it. Let's go to the next slide. Hannah, believing, behaving in the truth is much, much more than obeying rules. It is a heart issue, isn't it? 
John 8, 29 says, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And then believing the truth, belonging to the truth, makes us want every act of our lives to contribute to the glory of God. Let me say that again. I think it's on the, on the screen. It makes us want every act of our lives to contribute to the glory of God. So, what is God asking you to tear down this year? What is God asking you to build up? That's what happened in the text. God said, you need, to, you need to pull this down out of your life. He did it for the town, but God's asking you, what do you need if you really believe what you say you believe, what needs to be teared, torn down, and what needs to be built up? Those are real questions, huh? The next slide will say this. It's a quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, the man of God sets his heart to exalt God above all, God accepted his intention as fact and acted accordingly. Not perfection, but holy intention made the difference. I don't know if he's talking about Abraham. I don't remember. Uh, uh, or if he was talking about David. See, Esau sold his birthright, and David murdered a husband. Which is worse? Well, you, apples to oranges, right? You, you were trying to judge sin, but the thing is, is he rejected Esau, but David he accepted. And yet you would think that murder is the worst thing. But David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect by any means. Newsflash, you're not perfect either. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Carol told me. I know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. God's more interested in the heart. What's your convictions? What do you believe than, than the occasional sin? I, I don't want you to take license with that at all. I'm not giving you permission to be licentious. I am just saying that God is interested in the heart and your convictions and not a preference. And if the world <laughs> squeezes you into its mold, Romans says, don't, don't let it squeeze you into its mold. You have to live your life with conviction. And that, let's go back to the text and finish up. Beginning at verse 28, it says this, Then the men of the town rose early in the morning, and behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the asher beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Oh, man, they are hacked off. Verse 30. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. And Joash, which is dad, it's not even Gideon, it's dad, and he says to all who stood against him, Will you fight or will you contend for your God, for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for Baal shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Here's the fill in the blank. Last one. Truth emboldens to speak. Truth, dot, 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 emboldens you to speak. And it's not even Gideon that was emboldened. 
Who was it? His dad. He says, if, if, if this guy's, a, this Baal, if he's a real God, then you don't touch my son. You let the God do it. And of course, nothing happens to, to him. And that's just amazing. The church must find its conviction. We must act on truth and we must speak truth. We have to speak truth. We can't be afraid of speaking the truth. Now we do it in love. You know, we don't do it with a sledgehammer, but we speak the truth. But if it starts with you, the Holy Spirit is going to help you. And the Holy Spirit helps by convicting you. Bringing conviction grows out of faith. The Holy Spirit helps you to act and every action contributes to the glory of God and the Holy Spirit helps you to speak, to be bold in the truth and truth is to be lived out. But I want you to notice one little thing that we haven't even hit yet. Drop down to verse 34. Verse 34, just two verses down from where we stopped. It says, verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and they were called out to follow him. Do you, do you see this progression? He, he believed, he belonged, he behaved, and then he was clothed with power. I'm not saying that's absolute for the New Testament because we're in a different covenant, we're in a different way of thinking, but I think that when we try to live in the world and in, the, in God's kingdom, and we are trying to be lukewarm and we're trying to play, get the praise of men and get the praise of God, how can the Holy Spirit give you victory? How is he going to actually train you up in righteousness if you're dabbling in the world and dabbling in church? And that's why, boy, this is a year that we're going to stand firm because the world is falling apart. It is just crumbling before us. And I know we believe in the truth. We belong to the truth. And we're going to behave in the truth. And the Holy Spirit then is going to fill us and continue to transform us because, well, it's, it's down here. Jesus has sent us back into people's dysfunction. People are sending, Jesus is sending us back into people's addictions. Jesus is sending us back into broken families. Jesus is doing the sending and empowering us to stand in our convictions. Last slide is this. It's Mike Iaconelli, who was pretty popular years ago. But he said, Christianity is not learning about how to live within the lines. Christianity is all about the joy of coloring. That's what Christianity is about. It's about following Jesus with all your heart that he brings conviction to it that you actually say, no, you know what? And, and I'm, my convictions aren't your convictions, but I hope that your convictions all come from the word of God. Tammy and I, we haven't shopped at Target for nine years because Target was the first corporation that went woke and said, we allow men to go into women's dressing rooms and change clothes because we want to be inclusive. We want to be tolerant. And Tammy and I made the decision we're not going to shop at Target. We have not shopped at Target for nine years. That's my conviction. I'm not going to judge you if you 
do, but the Lord laid it on our heart. We're not going to. So, you know what? We've had to find new razors because Gillette promotes homosexuality and, ch and transgenderism. So guess what? We don't buy Gillette products. And then, you know, and, and it's just like the world just continues corporation-wise to promote their preferences down our throat. And we have to decide, wait, do I really want to be yoked up with them and give them money, my money, the Lord's money? And that's where conviction. And you get to a point, it's like, where are you going to shop, right? How many of you buy a shoe that's made by slave labor in China? What are you going to do? What, what, when, you, when you can buy a blouse for six bucks because it's made by a child over in India, do you, do you believe that that's wrong? Well, then you're not going to buy it. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's the use of your money that really shows where your convictions are. It's the use of your time that shows you what your real convictions are, what your purpose in life is for. And it's just like, wow, okay. I want to stand. I want to stand to be counted with Jesus. And I don't care what the world is going to say or do. And I'm not afraid, and you're not afraid, because that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Gideon was afraid at first, but guess what? He grew in his strength, amen? And guess what? You're going to take on your personal army, the army that's against you, because you're going to stand up in truth, you're going to belong to the truth, but you're going to behave in the truth. And the Holy Spirit is going to give you wisdom that is beyond you, and you're going to be able to stand and lovingly say, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that because of, and you start standing up for your convictions. And guess what? Gideon's dad was changed because Gideon took a stand. Your children will be changed. Your family may be changed because you are taking a stand for a conviction. And you do it in love. Don't do it in hate. That Then it's no good, right? And you love people to the truth. You bring the truth to them by being salt and light. I love that Jesus was only in the face of the religious, not on the, the woman that was broken at the well, not the woman that was caught in adultery, not, not the man who said, I, 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 don't, I, I don't have enough faith. Help increase my faith. Jesus was gentle to those that were searching. And that's the way we are to be. Because again, Jesus is sending us back into the world. Let me pray. Father God, whew, thank you that you love us and you care for us. And Sometimes we feel like we're a fish out of water and we should have been born 200 years ago when the sexual perversion wasn't in every nook and cranny of our culture. But you have chosen us to live at this time and that means you've given us the ability to be empowered to live through it. And so regardless if the love of many grow cold in the last day, we ask that our love would begin even to be stronger, but we would do it in conviction of what your word says and to tell people the truth in a way that is winsome and attractive because there are so many people in bondage 
There are so many people that think that they are on their path to fulfillment and they are just on a path of eternal separation from you. How dare we not speak up? Forgive us for the times when we have been silent, when we were given opportunities to express your love and a different path for those people to take. Our identity is only in you, Jesus, and not our genitals. Father, not in our wealth, not in power, not in prestige, not in more learning. Our identity is in you alone. And we rejoice in that. And we say to you, we will stand firm. Choose this day whom you shall serve. And we wholeheartedly say, we will serve you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.